Sebastian Waiting. I'm Daystar Eld. And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is episode 48, Romance. So this is going to be the episode where we talk about, in general, how to build, I think, a good romance story or subplot or relationship between two characters. So why don't you go first, since all my romance stories or stories with romance in them aren't online, and you have two, three now? Yeah, so... I would consider Dark Wizard of Dunkirk to have a strong romance subplot. Mm-hmm. There's one in there's one in the unpublished uh, Timewise Tales, and then there's some in Worth the Candle. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of like I don't know. I, I consider romance to be a valuable subplot in that in that it can help highlight two two characters mm-hmm. and sort of like reflect their growth or reflect how they have changed each other in a way that is a little bit more difficult with with friends right because if you have two if you have two characters who are both going through character arcs you you want them to learn and grow and and build on each other to some extent right uh how hollywood will normally do this is that they'll like they'll have their problems they'll have like a low moment Mm. and then they'll come back together at the end having both changed in some way to make the relationship work. That's, I think, a cheap way to do uh, a romance. I don't think it's wrong. It's just uh, if you're writing a romance subplot, then tying it into your main character arc in, in that way, or, or your, your main like story cycle in that way, I think it's a very low-cost way of, of doing it. So that it just becomes one component of having the character complete their arc or, or showing the character as completing that arc. Like they've got over whatever whatever problem they were having and the romance is just one subset of that. It's much harder with two characters. I would say two characters who are going on separate character arcs because then they need to be fairly incompatible at the beginning or they, you need to be displaying both of their problems instead of just displaying one problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mentioning the, the way romance tends to be in traditional fiction, I think is important because it's also worth noting that a lot of the times romance is very, subplot to the point of not really actually being plotty if that makes sense like, right if you're reading something like a detective novel or a fantasy novel or something like that usually what happens is it's just like a character like there will be a male character and a female character who happen to get into a romance while the plot is just happening and like at some point they'll it'll mention how they're attracted to each other and then maybe they'll kiss at some point and then maybe they'll like sleep together at some point and then either something will happen at the end of the story and they'll like imply it like off into the sunset or something will happen at the end of the story that'll like show that they can't like stay together. Yeah. The romance is very much like a it's almost like it's a afterthought tacked onto the a character in specific and not like a plot in and of itself where there's nothing really that the romance adds to the story or characterization. For most stories, I would say that I've seen romance as a subplot in, the romance could be taken out and not have it like affect the story too much. So when I think of like romance as a subplot, usually, like if it's not a romance genre story, obviously, my main criterion usually is kind of what you said, which is whether it meaningfully changes the characters or demonstrates like a a new conflict that the characters have to resolve separate from the plot itself. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the worst way to do romance is just to have it be unrelated to the plot and sort of unrelated to the characters themselves. I mean, obviously, a, a romance in some way has to be related to the characters, but if it if that romance doesn't say anything, 
meaningful about the characters. That happens a lot with Bond, mm-hmm. right? A lot, a lot of the romances are just there for, for titillation, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Bond gets to have sex with someone, and it doesn't change him in any way, and it doesn't reveal anything about his character that 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 has not already been revealed. Exactly, yeah. It's 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 show it's showing a part of his character that is not actually subjected subject to I guess like any kind of pressures. So like 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 Bond never actually struggles to deal with except I guess one of the one of the more recent movies. Like Bond never really struggles to deal with the romances from one movie to the next. It's always just kind of like very cut and dried. And that's kind of, like even without it being a serial like like James Bond movies, that's kind of how I, I see a lot of romance subplots in traditional fiction, where the the romance kind of just like it's like it like almost like bookends bookends the story as like just another way to add like a happy ending or like another way to add like a a way to show that like oh you've got the success of the plot and then also you've got the success of the romance therefore like everything's fine almost like it's just like an extra prize that they get for winning the plot overcoming the conflict of the plot. To the point where you wouldn't even really call them romance in many cases. Like, Bond movies don't have romance subplots. That's not, like, what they are, uh, except in a strictly technical sense. Um, in a large part because, like, people just expect that for, for a lot of Bond movies. Um, but, like, in new movies, you still do see these, like, romance just, like, technically speaking, but not actually, like, in, in substance at all. Which often feels very shoehorned in. Yeah, I think whenever I look at things that Hollywood or mass media does a lot of that I don't think is very good. I always try to think of why they do that. And I think that is the the primary reason that there's so many like half-baked romances is because it just adds something for some people that will make a happy ending just a little bit more happy, right. even if it's just sort of going through the motions of a romance rather than like a fully developed thing, yep. I guess. There's a trope called Babies Ever After. Where, which is, used to be much more common than this today, but they would al- always ha- set the ending like nine months after the end of the film or whatever, and you know people had settled down, and they had babies. Right. J.K. Rowling did that. Yep. Right. Just and and like that wasn't necessary at all, but it was just sort of this saccharine sweetness that I guess appeals to some people. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really appeal to me. I do like romantic as a genre. It's just so many of them are bad. Mm-hmm. But those are, are like focused on the romance, right? right? It's just not, it's not rewarding in the same way if it's not a developed romance, if it's just two people who, I guess, know each other and are attracted to each other, right? Yeah. So, yeah, you have all these things that, that you, you see a lot that I don't, I would not look to Hollywood for, for how to build a successful romance on the page, especially, because a lot of romance is carried by body language and by chemistry and that's totally different in prose as it is like on screen. Like there, there have been some movies in the past couple of years, even that the two leads just don't have the the chemistry that mm-hmm. they're that that is required to make it work within the script, right? And it's not the script's fault. It's partly it's a matter of acting, and partly it's a matter of subtle body language that it's just very hard to get right. Yeah. There was a a post on Reddit a while back that said that, so Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence in Passengers and then the two leads in um, Valerian. Mm -hmm. So in Passengers, there's like this sort of, not a horror movie undertone, but it would have worked a lot better if it weren't, if they didn't have good chemistry with each other, Mm -hmm. right? Because then you could play up the sort of creepy aspects of being stuck in space with someone, whatever, the whole plot of that movie, basically. Right. And then there was the movie Valerian, 
and the thousand cities or whatever and then the one of the main problems that people had with that movie is that the two main leads had no chemistry whatsoever and people were like i thought they were brother and sister you know and then if you swapped those two actors between those two movies it would make them both a lot better because the the chemistry like even if you changed nothing about nothing about the plot of either or the actual writing of either as far as dialogue goes at least it would make both movies better because the differences in chemistry would be so much more pronounced mm-hmm. right and it, they were supposed to have chemistry in Valerian and they didn't and they were debatably not supposed to have it in Passengers and they did but it's totally different in movies and television because so much of it is carried by the acting I think as far as prose goes on the page as we can and probably will divide romance up into steps I, I think mm-hmm. but a lot of the signs of this person is attracted to this person are very subtle and I don't know if you read movie scripts very often. I, I read them yep. somewhat frequently mm-hmm. uh, just because that's an interest of mine. But usually you need the stage direction in there. Yeah, to give them a little bit of body language, like what they what they do between yeah. the comments, things that like will show that they are attracted to each other rather than just going off of their dialogue. Right, and it is so difficult to do it with dialogue alone to say that two people are attracted to each other because it doesn't it's very hard to get that just from reading unless you're being really overt about it. Part of this is also that it's really hard to consistently write kind of snappy romantic dialogue. Like, you can take parts of romantic relationships and grab parts of them that if you were to, like, just show the dialogue in text without any other information, two people people reading that could probably see, without anything, like, you know, explicitly romantic in it, oh, these two might be in a relationship because they just have that kind of, like, you know, that kind of, like, connection with each other and the things that they're talking about and the way that they're, like, talking to each other are, like, they're, like, flags that'll go up. It's like, oh, these people might be in a relationship together uh, or attracted to each other at the very least. But it's hard to do that consistently. And so a lot of the a lot of the struggle that comes from writing romance well, I think, comes from, like, if you are just looking at the dialogue stripped down and not, you know, not inserting the thoughts of the characters that let you know, okay, this person is attracted to this person. I think it's a good kind of litmus test to see like how well you're showing their attraction to each other without the added stuff. Because realistically speaking, like if your character is attracted to someone and or like has like a romance subplot with them, like it should come across in their dialogue. And like you could rely on like glances and um thoughts, obviously, and like expressions and like lingering moments together and stuff like that and i think it like it works and it's necessary to have those things but i do think like the like having good romantic dialogue is hard and should be practiced and like be a part of any any kind of romantic story yeah because just like comedy you know if you're not writing a comedy story it's not necessary necessarily to like have funny moments in your story Um, but usually you know stories are better off when there's some levity in them for romance like if you if you're just not used to writing romance i think practicing romantic dialogue and romantic like relationships should come from in large part like just kind of picturing like what do people who are attracted to each other sound like when they're talking to each other yeah and that's that's especially hard because it's it's the coconut thing right Mm -hmm. you you slap two coconuts together and you think horses horses even Mm -hmm. though that's not really what a galloping horse sounds like very much um so you can watch two people who are in that like heavy infatuation stage talk to each other and that'll be distinctly different from how it presents in movies and tv mm. but it's one of those cases where being realistic is kind of not 
always the best thing for people understanding what you what it is you're going for. Mm-hmm. I would say one of the things like yeah, lingering looks, uh, lingering touch. Like mm-hmm. it, it's hard to get touch across on the page because partly an awareness of touch because when you are writing, you are whatever you focus on. We've talked about this before. It's prose narrative. It is the case when you are uh, writing, when you're delivering sentences to the reader that you're focusing their attention in the same way a camera focuses on individual objects within scene and calls them to attention. Touch is a very big part of flirting, like getting within someone's body space and touching them. And so you, it's kind of hard to do that because it can be a little too obvious that a character is focusing on touch or, or like you're bringing that too much to the forefront and making it, making the subtext of the conversation too much into the text of the prose. Right. But that that's a very important way of putting forth what flirting is. Yeah. Right. Is a lot of those touches. There's a lot of kind of jokiness or tends to be the way people look at each other and focusing on a lot of that stuff. And I think that even if you just even if you just include more of the subtextual stuff without making it very explicit, you can show what a person is thinking. Right. Yeah. By by having your main character be like hyper aware of how the other person is moving, and what they're looking at, and you know, um, brief moments of contact and things like that. Yeah, this is where we get into I think the stages of the romance that's kind of important because the dialogue will not show as much in different stages. So like I guess if we had to break them up, I would say something like um, there's the stage where the characters are aware of their own attraction. Uh, but not aware of necessarily the other persons. Then there's the stage where the characters are aware of each other's mutual attraction. And then there's the stage where the characters are kind of acting on the mutual attraction. But this is like a forking path now because there's also one person could act on their own attraction without knowing about the other person's attraction. So like it depends on the kind of relationship that you're writing, like the kind of romance that you're writing in terms of are you kind of jumping ahead to the point where both characters already immediately like each other and immediately have no reason not to show that they like each other. It kind of like does a lot of your work for you in terms of, you know, what, what part of the, of the romance you're, you're writing. But I think it's generally less interesting to have stories like that where like, I don't know, characters just like instantly like, like each other, know that they like each other and then just start acting on knowing that they like each other. There's gotta be some conflict in a romantic subplot. And this is usually the one I think that most people will choose first as the first source of conflict is like that space of not knowing and that space of like being cautious and like trying to like flirt without necessarily knowing what the other person feels. And then like that moment of, aha, they do like me back and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that can carry your entire romantic plot, right? The, Oh, do we know? Or, or, you know, the, the will they won't they stuff that can be your entire romance. And then you don't resolve. Oh, they will (laughs) until the end. Right. Yeah, I think for for worth the candle, it's um, there's a significant period of will they won't they, mm-hmm. right? And love triangle bullshit, <laughs> I guess. But um, yeah, there's a significant period of that, and I think someone commented like, "Oh, this is just gonna like string us along forever." I think because I it's a it's a very easy source of tension. There are there can be like logical reasons, even if they know or highly suspect that they like each other. There can be reasons for them not to, right? There, there can be conflicts that are, there can be pre-conflicts, basically, right? Um, I wrote a, 
like two thirds of a novel, uh, which I'll probably never finish. Um, but it was about a society that was divided between like people who could do magic and people who couldn't. And the romance or the primary romance was between a, a man who was not able to do magic, but he was like really smart and he was involved in like writing spells, even though he couldn't cast them. And then the girl was, could do magic. And then she was like nobility basically. And it's the magic is genetically inherited and it's recessive. And so if they had children, their children won't be able to do magic and she'd sort of be like out of the aristocracy and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that was in the text is pre-conflict because they both are painfully aware of this fact, but they still like each other. And so when he's at the point where he's sort of like, he knows that he likes her, he doesn't know whether or not she likes him. And he, he knows that if they were to have this relationship, it's like this class slash hereditary thing right. would be in the way. So you can sort of drag out a will they, won't they thing by having good logical reasons. So it's not just like, oh, we're just not talking about it because, right. you know, there's stuff's going on. You can make it more of a focus and more of a focus of, you know, in, in this case, the class struggle was a lot of the point of the book. And so that's like ties in a lot to those themes and that. So it, it's not just like wasted plot. It's sort of goes in with the main things that the book is talking about. But if you do it like that, you can sort of pave the way for the later part when they're like together and then they're still going to have this conflict, mm-hmm. right? Although it's very common to write romances where that is not the case, where you have that sort of pre-conflict where people are worried about what the relationship is going to be like for whatever reason. And they're like, oh, like this probably won't work out. And then they get together and then the story is over and it's treated like happy ending. Yeah. Even um, though you have these conflicts that have been set up that are the whole reason that there was a conflict in the sort of like what I guess I'll call the flirting phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole reason there was conflict in the flirting phase was, these, you know, solid grounded reasons. And then they just like are like, oh, I've decided that those things don't matter anymore. Yeah, those things don't matter anymore or we'll work through it. And it's just treated like happy ending, which is in some respect kind of a fair point, because like there's a lot of like if we're going for a realistic angle, you're not going to get into a relationship with someone once everything possible to work out has been worked out, right? Right. The thing that can be interesting in a novel that's exploring romance is either you take one major conflict that the, that the couple has and you'll be like, how, how do people get over, for example, like the class struggle difference, right? Like they're from a poor background, they're from a rich background. What are the, what are the conflicts that come from that with their families and like, uh, the different worlds they come from and their plan, plans for the future. Like, that can be the focus of the romance struggle. Or you can just kind of be like a ongoing, like, a romantic journey that will have multiple conflicts that come up as naturally happens in relationships where, like, you know, sometimes it's, like, something happens and, like, oh, suddenly there's a jealousy thing that you've got to deal with, that they've got to deal with. Or there's, like, a trust issue or something like that. And, like, the things that kind of just come up naturally in the relationships that then your characters have to have to deal with, which is usually more going to show up obviously in series serials or or like ongoing series where there's space for multiple different conflicts to show up in a romance yeah i've written romance in like maybe three to four different novels that i've written they've written two things that are i i I would classify explicitly romance novels and i've written a lot of i do a lot of role-playing and i do a lot of um romance like role-play and stuff and a lot of the times i think the interesting stuff comes up when you've got, like, these characters that are in a situation where, like, you have to try to find a way for them to be happy with 
what's going on without making it like forced, without like forcing them to just be happy with what's going on, which requires like some kind of growth on their part. And that growth usually is going to be facilitated by something happening in the plot. Yeah. So you can't just have like the character, like, you know, everything's happy, they're going along fine, and then, you know, one of them gets really upset with the other one about something that they like shared about like a friend like about the relationship to a friend or something and then they just they get like upset for a while and they're sad and mopey and, and upset and then like they talk about and, and then everything and like oh this is my perspective oh that's your perspective that's really interesting i didn't think of it that way i'm glad that we talked about this now everything's good like that's the that's the mature and healthy realistic way to deal with conflicts and relationships but it's really boring to do that in stories most of the time like you can do it a few times. I think it's good to it's good to do that. But usually, unless it's a it's explicitly like a romance novel that is going to show the struggle the characters have with actually going through those motions and why they're having like trouble going through those motions. Like maybe this like past relationship baggage that's like making it hard for them or whatever it is. Usually, there's some other plot going on that will force them to confront the the issue or will like add insight as they as they're dealing with the, the major plot. That will add insight to their personal like stuff. Yeah, it's. I think you don't see that many troubled relationships in media. Like, I think you either see see totally doomed relationships mm-hmm. between two people who are like going to break up, and then that's going to be the culmination of a of a character arc for someone, right? Yeah. Typically, it is a sort of like down on his luck guy who has a sort of overbearing controlling girlfriend um that's very typical uh as and then like he'll have a like oh i'm standing up to her and dumping her or whatever Mm -hmm. that happens a whole lot and then girl with an abusive guy that happens a lot too Mm -hmm. um very often as a way to set up a love triangle and then have one clear winner Mm -hmm. right because that will tend to feel better to people than if there's like a girl who just has two guys that she's real interested in and they both have their high points. Mm-hmm. Right. But other, other outside of that, it's very uncommon to have people have problems in relationships and have to deal with their growth in realistic ways. Um, it's usually, it usually is handled by plot growth or, or growth that is required to get through the plot, which is a little easier for us to stomach. I think mm-hmm. rather than just someone being told by their loved one, you know, you never take responsibility or you're, you're too controlling mm-hmm. or you like have this temper that you need to work on. And obviously that's endemic to media of people having problems and then them just not handling them in good ways or us having a sort of symbolic or metaphorical dealing with those problems. Like the, the villain is a, a metaphor for <laughs> laziness or something right. i don't know <laughs> i think there are probably some fair classifications of like what like execution obviously matters a lot but i think there's some some good concepts of uh, what makes for good romance plots that are, have been kind of like carved out fairly well by like mass media at this point like love triangles is one of those where like instantly like has a component to it that like is an inherently relatable understandable enticing whatever you want to call it conflict there's the one that's like something like relationship that's formed off of a misunderstanding is another one. Like it's a trope of like these are people who are like you, the reader, know that things would maybe go badly if all the truth comes out. But like they're like they were hiding who they were when they met and they don't know if they can reveal who they are and all that kind of stuff. Like these are like like things that cause tension that 
if if executed well, you know that like you know the way that the characters are trying to deal with the conflict is what's in the way of them having like a happy happily ever after together romantically. The flip side of that is that there are some concepts that I think are really hard to do well uh, and to make engaging in a romance, like in in a romance subplot, which is kind of like you said, one of them was having a bad temper. Like if someone leaves someone about their over their bad temper, that's a very realistic reason for a relationship to break up, especially obviously if they're like you know abusive. But like even if it doesn't get that far. Uh, if someone just doesn't like the way that someone like explodes and yells and you know treats other people and they leave them like that's a very realistic conflict for a relationship to have. I don't know if it's necessarily a very interesting one for a romance subplot because the the way that it has to be dealt with is all internal to the person who has the anger issue and the anger issue is the actual conflict. The romance is like the prize at the end of the conflict. Right. So the interesting things that you can do with romance subplots have to be ones that it's not just that the romance is the prize for for finishing the the you know solving the the conflict or solving the problem. It's one where the romance is a is a integral part of solving the conflict, and like both characters are involved ideally in some way with this with this conflict. Like let's say one person is just too too giving and too like open hearted and just like you know wants to take care of everyone and like. And the other person is very much, you know, this is our nuclear family, me and you and our kids, that's it. And, like, we don't need to give anything else to anyone else because it's just, you know, we have to look out for ourselves first, that kind of thing. Like, that's a conflict that, no matter how far apart the people are from the, from the like, quote-unquote ideal central point, as long as they're on both sides of that, they both have room to potentially move more towards the center. Even if one has to move more than the other, ideally. Like, those, those lessons they both can learn from it. Their interactions are not all about, like, one person figuring out how they can become a more giving person or the other person figuring out how they can become a more a better someone with better boundaries for example uh like it's not just one or the other it's how both of them are trying to figure out how to be in a relationship with someone who has a different set of priorities so even if someone was like oh you know what i actually think my boundaries are perfectly fine which you know they probably are if they met someone and they fell in love with someone who had the exact same same uh, priorities and boundaries it's just like how do we get two people who have these different perspectives and philosophies to be in a relationship together that works. And I think that's kind of my my favorite part about looking at good romance conflict, which is take two personalities or priorities or lifestyles or perspectives, whatever you want to call it, that would work perfectly fine on their own. And if they found someone who complimented it or felt the same way, it would work perfectly fine, but that don't match well and then see how they can actually match well if they were to try to get together and like see how they struggle through that and how they grow through that and learn to like deal with it together yeah you have to make sure that it is a it's a conflict that you can actually resolve <laughs> so one of the one of the classic unsolved conflicts in relationships is like kids or no kids yeah because there's not really a lot of wiggle room one way or the other on that question and so you'll see people in people in stories will break up over that mm-hmm. fairly frequently and in real life, too, because mm-hmm. it's not something that you can really compromise on. It kind of depends on what your issues are on either side. Like what, like if someone, you know, doesn't want to pass down their genes. I think it might have been Tony Stark was worried about having kids because making the world safe or whatever his issues are. He's an alcoholic or something. I don't know. I can't remember exactly what his issues are. But it's one of those ones that's that can be hard to resolve if both people have their points on whatever the conflict is and then you kind of have to pick one or the other, right? Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of interpersonal conflicts that are like that. Like if someone wants to, you know, move across the country for a better job, 
and the other person wants to stay, right? They're they're either going to move or they're going to stay, or I mean, they're going they might do long distance or whatever. But it's it's the kind of thing that if you set that up as your relationship conflict, kind of have to make sure that you have some way of making that work. Yeah. Right. Of untangling that so that both parties can be satisfied and one isn't just caving to the other, unless one party is like explicitly wrong in which case that's not really that great of a conflict mm-hmm. certain depending on what it is yep although for the uh whether or not to have kids one the uh, most movies will have the person who doesn't want to have kids be wrong yeah <laughs> and they'll do that because it's usually framed as a conflict about getting over insecurities or taking care of others or taking responsibility or feeling like they're not going to be a good parent or just being like yeah. lazy or wanting to wanting to like enjoy their youth still thinking that they're still like you know too young for kids and all that stuff yeah <laughs> die hard the the premise for for die hard is that john mcclain flies into la to meet his sort of estranged wife because mm-hmm. he she wanted to go out to la to like do the stuff with this business and be a good career move for her and he didn't believe in her and so he just stayed in new york and then that the romance subplot of die hard is very thin I, lo- I love the movie but it's a very mm-hmm. thin romance subplot but it's sort of about him sort of rekindling his love for his wife and you know he and and seeing her again for who she is and like he should have believed in her and whatever and then the the next movie well the next movie is die hard 2 but like die hard 3 comes along and he's like not married and uh die hard 4 and 5 he's like estranged from his kids too and all these problems that were apparently there in their relationship at the beginning of the first movie have sort of continued as this through line, just his personal problems that didn't actually get resolved in the movie. So this actually brings up a point that I wanted to talk about where like part of the problem with fiction romance is that it's a lot of the times going to be built around a very unrealistic set of circumstances. So if you like speculative fiction, uh, usually there are conflicts that have to do with like people's lives being in danger and like trying to like, you know, save people or save the world or whatever it is. And romance is kind of taking place while this is happening. Uh, and obviously this, this is not just speculative fiction. Like, you know, uh, mystery novels do this. Obviously Die Hard, like an action, action movie that does, does this too. Uh, where, you know, he, I guess he just, he learns that he loves his wife by like shooting up a room full, uh, a building full of bad guys or whatever, like the, the, the source of, of the conflict that he solves is like, is, is what helps make them realize they want to be together again. But like, that's, there's also this, I don't know how re- reproducible it is with the replication crisis and everything, but like, there's this fairly often quoted thing where like, if you are in a situation with someone and you are excited and like your heart beats faster and, and things like that, like people will like be more often to like interpret that as like romantic. I think it's kind of bullshit <laughs> personally. Like, I don't, I don't think that's how people work, but I think there's something very close to that that is probably true, where if you go through very severe and extreme situations with other people, you you will bond to them much faster and much more strongly than you would otherwise. And I think that's something that a lot of fiction uses to quicken the, the time frame in which romance happens, which makes sense. It quickens the time frame in which friendships happen, too, obviously. Um, but it, it uses this to quicken the time frame in which romance happens. And what's kind of important to keep in mind when you do this is to think about what the characters are if you if you want like you know some kind of rational work anyway uh what the characters are showing each other in this time of crisis is you know hopefully going to be the best of themselves because they're like you know 
the protagonists and the heroes or whatever. But there's always going to be the the day to day afterward that will not be like shown in the in the story usually. There will be discussions of like long term future goals and like lifestyle choices and like all these different things that will probably not come up. And these are all like ways that you can kind of have a romance conflict occur in the moment. Not like you know everything goes well because they you know defeated the Dark Lord together. And everything's just like happy, and then like later on, you're like, all right, you know, maybe they'll figure it out, maybe they won't. Or in a sequel, you find out, oh, they suddenly have this problem about wanting to have kids or not. Uh, like if they just, if that was just brought up earlier, while they're trying to save the world, like you now have a romance conflict in your romance as it's happening, right? Like it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to wait until later. Yeah, there's a lot of growth that people go through that happens through romantic questions and romantic situations. Unrequited love is a huge one for me, at least. Like, when people get to the point in their relationship where they start, like, having sex, like, that can be a source of a lot of... I mean, most books just kind of, like, you know, fade to black and, and skip over sex scenes. But, like, a, there's a lot of character growth that can happen in, in, like, sexual situations. Especially if people are from very different relationship styles before. Like, if one person has only been in, like, one or two relationships and the other person has been a lot of them. Like, there's tension that can happen if, like, one person realizes that the other person's way more experienced than them. Like, there's a lot of things that can be happening on the page as things are, are developing that don't have to wait until later on in their life once the book is over if you want to add conflict to your romance. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one of the reasons I think that it's very common for the will-they-won't-they they phase to last basically to the end of the primary mm-hmm. plot being resolved is because if you don't do it that way, then you're sort of doing one conflict to like the halfway point of the book and then you're switching to a totally different conflict. Right. Right. So it's better handled either in serials where you can just go for a million words. You have so much room to do anything that you want. Right. <laughs> or in sequels, it's, it's pretty common to do it that way. Yeah. So that you can have the will they won't they phase and then they, they have problems within their relationship, possibly foreshadowed earlier on. But I don't know. I think that's pretty realistic for people to, run into problems as they occur rather than trying to do like pre-mortem on a relationship. Right. Yeah. Which would still be, that'd be great to read. Right. Yes. You know what? Now I think about it, Twilight has a few very well done tropes, a few very well done romance tropes in it. Uh, That's the way I'm going to put it. I, I read all four Twilight books and there were parts of them that I think were really, 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 really bad. And there were parts of them that were surprisingly good given how bad the rest of it was. But, like, Luminosity actually does a really good job of approaching the idea of a romance well without necessarily losing, like, the central conflict of the original. So, I mean, the main issue in Twilight was that, you know, Edward didn't want to kill Bella by turning her into a vampire because he believes that vampires don't have souls. And Bella, obviously, is like, I just want to be with you. And also, vampires are amazing. Like, why would I not want to be a vampire? And that kind of stuff. In Luminosity, it's kind of more of a... Spoilers for anyone who hasn't read Luminosity, but you should. And this is fairly early, so it's okay. Where it's more of like a... This whole vampire mating thing seems really, like, mystical. And I don't know if I feel comfortable with the fact that this person is, like, devoting their life to me and I barely know them. And, like, uh, Rational Bell is totally on board with becoming a vampire, obviously. But, like, there's the aspect of the vampire romance that, like, doesn't feel organic to her. And so they have to get to know each other and they have to actually, like, learn whether they would be a good couple or not, like, before she just lets, like, this brain thing, like, sink them. And 
Also, he's just, like, very controlling stuff, and, like, he does things that, like, irritates her, which makes sense, because, like, there's no particular reason for them to be perfectly matched. But, like, this idea of, like, a, a, a character that sees another character who they want to be in a relationship with, but they see the problems ahead of time is an interesting conflict to explore in a story. Yeah. One of the things that I think about when I think about romance is compatibility. Mm-hmm. So when I got married to my wife, um, one of the one of the, the reasons that her parents really liked me as opposed to her the boyfriends that she had before me was that um, they thought that we would make each other better people. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of my mindset going in was for, for like finding someone to marry. Mm-hmm. Right. Was I wanted to find someone who I could just live my life with and we'd make each other better people. Mm-hmm. So when I look at romance, I try to think about what both people want out of the relationship and what they see in the other person. I think as far as people go, a lot of it is just raw attraction Mm -hmm. that's not that much grounded in practicalities or anything really. It's like pheromones and bodies and stuff like that. That's not really you can't really write about it very easily. And even if you do write about it, it's it is just sort of like this hand wavy explanation for it. Right. So I, I try to think about it in the in the sense of what do these characters need? Right. And what do they want from each other? And then what do they see in each other? And then sort of when I'm writing the romance parts of it, I try to emphasize those things and try to have two characters who are complementary to each other in some way. Right. right? They, they they fill gaps or, or or functions that the other person is missing. Yeah. There's a very common opposite track saying, which I think is um, also kind of bullshit. I, I taught a class called uh, Romantic Epistemology at uh, the European Summer Program for Rationality, and basically it's like kind of a breakdown of a lot of the common misconceptions or tropes or stereotypes or just beliefs about romance and like sexuality and stuff that like society kind of feeds us or media feeds us. And the opposite to track one is one that kind of always bothers me because like if you if if, you, if you've ever met someone who's the opposite of you, like really the opposite of you, you just like you would be annoyed by them or bored by them fairly quickly right like there's there's usually something about each other uh that you have in common or like about each other or like is, is compatible with each other uh the idea of someone who like makes you better i think is really important for a relationship like makes you more the person you want to be and it's kind of the most common thing that i tell clients who are having trouble with romance when they're trying to decide either whether a romantic partner would be good for them or whether like they're already in a relationship and they're and they're like struggling with it it's this idea of like what does this person inspire you to do? Who does this person who who does this person inspire you to be more like? And that is, I think, a very good source of conflict for fiction because if you have a character who has other conflicts that they're going through, you know, in the course of the narrative or or as the main you know part of the narrative, if it's a if it's a romance novel, that conflict of like being more the person that you need to be to save the world or find the bad guy or whatever it is can show, like, actual relatable value in the relationship to the reader. You know, like, you're not just rooting for them to be together because love is good, I guess. Like, whatever, like, generic, like, feeling you get when you see two people get together. You're you're rooting for them to work things out because you know that they're a better person with them. Or that they make each other better people together. Or something like that. Yeah. Like, you, you've seen, hopefully, some part, of, like, some part of the story has devoted a little bit of time to showing the way that, that they help each other and, like, make each other grow. And you want more of that, and you think that, like, is good for them. Just the same way with, like, friends. Like, if you've got friends that you know, like, 
help each other out and like are good for each other like you want them to be together you want them to to make it work yeah i will say that most of the stuff that what we're talking about is relationship stuff Mm -hmm. which cross applies to friends fairly well yep especially just in terms of in what ways are they complementary where do they clash the whole point of, of having two characters talk to each other so that you can help map the little venn diagram of their values i guess yeah and the other thing i will say is that shippers are a thing (laughs) people who will ship any two characters i think that is a good signifier for why romance subplots will just crop up so frequently is to sort of it's like you make you make two dots and a little curved line, people will see a face in it. Put any two people together and people will see a romance in it, unless specifically people specifically say otherwise. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even then. Sometimes that's just like, oh, they're just saying that. And it's like a sort of wink-nod thing. So uh, one of the important things when writing romance is knowing knowing how to intentionally write something that is not a romance, mm-hmm. right? Um, especially if you have a like main couple and then a third person i'm thinking here specifically of harry potter probably the most famous example because that was not intended as a love triangle like it doesn't read as a love love (laughs) triangle there's no point where harry's like pining after hermione ron's misunderstanding of the situation is like his character thing right his feelings of inadequacy or or whatever but the fact that Harry exists next to Hermione is enough to get some people to sort of sour on the idea of Hermione and Ron, mm-hmm. right? That's one of the th- so that's one of the things that I think about in in romance is to how how to sink ships basically, yeah. Or if not to sink ships, then to at least gently steer them away so it's you know crazy person territory mm-hmm. rather than a logical extrapolation from the facts, right? Because if you're not gonna deliver on it if, it if you're not like intending to tease people it, <laughs> it, it's important to not do that just for, for for reader experience and not to distract from like the things you'd rather them be focusing on because like you know you're always making choices about what what to write and what to focus on i do want to note that i think there are some pairings that will naturally go together more like there are characters that readers will think should be together because they think they would like be really sweet together and there are characters that they think would be like a lot of fun or have like a lot of interesting drama to see them together. Uh, and there's just that trope of romance between enemies that's really common. But I think there's some underlying method to the madness of shipping. Right. Like if Harry and Hermione did end up together, I'm not saying no one would write Ron and Hermione ships, but I think they would be far fewer in number than any of the other major alternatives that are currently really popular. Yeah. And a lot of the the room for good romance, I think, also comes from the way characters will change over time. Like, because in, in real life, I think one of the major sources of conflict between between all sorts of people is just, like, we get older and, like, our, our situations change, our lives change, our perspectives change, and uh, personalities tend not to, like, match as the way they always did or, like, some, like, invisible set of expectations that people had when they joined relationships, which happens for, like, everyone, like, suddenly becomes violated because something came up. In a novel or a series or something, when you're writing characters in a romance together, the ways I think that can be done really well is by showing the characters trying to trying to balance this new change with like what they had before. Like where like if everything is going really well in the relationship, like they're just really happy with each other, and then something else comes up that makes them also happy, but like it interferes with the happiness they had as a couple. The way this most often comes up is like a new person enters the, the picture. Like, you know, whether it's like a 
friend that just takes a lot of time and energy away from the from the relationship, and that's why like the one person gets like jealous or something, or like another explicitly romantic situation pops up, and then they have to like make sure they're not you know cheating on their partner emotionally if not physically. Like that's that's a pretty common way to do this. Uh, but it could be other things too. Like it could be someone discovers that like oh they're actually like really 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 into skydiving, and like their partner is like no don't don't do that. <laughs> like like I didn't. When we got into a relationship together, I did not expect to be a widow by, like, 40. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that extreme, obviously. But things like that, which from, like, an outside perspective could be seen as a purely positive change, but it causes conflict in the relationship. So if someone is realizes that they want to become an effective altruist and donate 10% of their income to important charities and they want to, like, do earn for, earning to give, which is, like, getting a job that just makes lots and lots of money so they can give away a lot of it to save lives and that kind of thing. Like, that might cause conflict with their partner, who might not be on board with that. Like, if someone wants to go to, like, they have, like, a near-death experience, and they realize they just want to, like, tick off a bunch of things on their bucket list, and want to travel the world and do all that stuff, like, that would probably not, you know, necessarily jive with what the other partner had in mind. But, like, these are things that you don't, you don't want to present them as, oh, this person's just doing the wrong thing. It's just more of a, how do these characters resolve this conflict that they've, that has grown through no one's fault, and it's not like an actual flaw in anyone. It's really just like people change as they get older. And that's a source of conflict for us and should be a source of conflict for characters. Yeah, I, I find it very interesting to sort of set a – to have knock-on conflicts, mm-hmm. I guess. Because serials can just stretch so so far. You can have a character who grows and changes, causes changes in their interpersonal relationships, not all of which are strictly positive or some of which can can cause this knock-on conflict that then has to get resolved from the other side as well mm-hmm. right yep um it's very neat again i think that's sort of restricted to the medium of serial fiction because to, to get that all in a single book seems like it'd be very yes. difficult even if it's a romance specific book it would be hard yeah although there are well i guess <laughs> i was gonna say there are romance serials but that doesn't help my point yeah. at all <laughs> There's um, the uh, Glamorous Histories series by uh, Mary Robinette Cowell. I have my bookshelves behind me, but it's they do the will they won't they in the first book. And then in the second book, they're, I think, preparing for their marriage or they're like in their courtship mm-hmm. phase. But it's it, there are, I think, five or six books at this point. And sort of neat how they have new conflicts every every time. Right. And a lot of those conflicts are specifically because they solved whatever the old conflict was that was getting in, in the way of their relationship progressing the previous time. It's like you, because you're sort of not necessarily overcorrecting, but you become different people. Yep. And then you have, that's that's your new plot, which is super neat. Very difficult to pull off. Yeah. Something similar to that, I think, is the Anita Blake series uh, by Lowell K. Hamilton, something I've, I've probably, I think I've mentioned a few times by now. I think it is, unironically, one of the best romance series I've ever read. It's got problems, especially later books. Like, I haven't, I haven't read any of the, the more recent ones probably for like i'm gonna say the past 10 years or so whatever's come out in the past 10 years i haven't read it but so the first like four books had like no romance whatsoever in them or rather there was like romantic you know tones to it but there was no relationship stuff going on and and no like sex or anything and like the story just takes it from a character that is single and not interested in uh the way she puts it is is fucking monsters and like all that kind of stuff until like eventually and like she's like you know rebuffing the the advances of a vampire in her in her city and that kind of stuff and like you see her go from that to in a relationship with a 
spoilers to the Needle Blake series. In, into a relationship with, I'll just, I'll keep it big actually. One supernatural person, uh, into that one breaks up and then into a relationship with another supernatural person. Uh, and then like she goes from being, you know, in relationships with one person and another into a love triangle. And there's like, you know, supernatural reasons that are like reinforcing this that like causes conflict really well. Uh, and then there's like, this kind of like world that she's opening up to, which is the idea of like being in an open relationship, comes like a polyamorous relationship. And I like, get each different stage. This is like over probably like seven to ten books now I've, I've described, and there's more obviously after that. Um, like at each different stage that she's in, and like the conflicts that she's going through, there are just new romantic conflicts that she's having with herself. So like at one point, she realizes that she's, she realizes, and other people point out that she's kind of greedy in the sense of, she has like a mini harem going on, but she is the only woman in her harem and she doesn't like it when her guys are with other women, which is a double standard. And she like realizes this and like has trouble with it. And then eventually like, like you see her get over it and like deal with that. So like things like that, like we're just like different stages of her romantic evolution are handled really well. And you see like getting used to the idea of living with multiple people that are in, in a romantic relationship, like dealing with like how your family treats it, all that kind of stuff. And this is something that I think is really kind of interesting to think about in terms of what stage your character is at romantically in their kind of developmental life, because there's definitely romantic conflicts that will more likely happen when someone is like going through their first romantic relationship versus someone who's like, you know, been in multiple already versus someone who's like been married twice and has kids already right like like what what kind of like relationship history the person has is probably going to inform a lot of like what kind of conflicts they get into relationship wise that are interesting Mm -hmm. and i think that's something that's really like if you're looking for conflicts for your romance subplots or romance stories i think it's worth like looking into just like thinking about what kind of conflicts are specific to the situation that my character's in whether it's like you know one that's very common for people in that situation or one that you can find an interesting spin on or something like there's there's just lots of ideas out there that you can like pull from and then find interesting ways to resolve yeah the great thing about speculative fiction is that you can have entirely new conflicts that no one mm-hmm. in history has ever had to face before yep they just weren't weren't possible and you have i don't know magic or science fiction or or whatever going on that you can have people have entirely new problems just in general but in in romance as well which is, is something i kind of um I kind of wish were explored more the the specifically not supernatural romance, but because that usually just means <laughs> that, that that usually is just like a reskinned uh-huh. human romance. Right. Right. But it is one of the things that I wish that I saw more and that people would like write more because you can have things like someone makes a copy of themselves that is like not in the relationship mm-hmm. and doesn't want to be in the re- relationship or like, you make a copy of yourself to to go out and like have fun in the world and that you don't consider to be a part of that relationship and the other person's like, well, how is that like you're you're saying that you would leave this relationship? And it's like, well, no. Right, right. If I had my clones stay in the relationship, then I might leave. Did you read the Rainship comic? Do you know what I'm talking about? I never finished it. The art. The art's really hard to get through for sure. Yeah. For those that don't know, there's like a comic where like a person gets a chip planted in their brain and like every some amount of hours or whatever, like they split into another universe. Sorry, their their universe splits and the, the copy has the brain chip too and they can communicate with each other. There's an interesting part of it where like um, he's in a relationship and I don't know if you got this far, but like he's in a relationship and like their multiverse self is in a relationship with this, with like the same girl because like one of them got in the relationship with them and was like, hey, this girl's great. 
and they're all like, oh, cool, there's this girl, this girl that, that I met in another universe that's really great. Let's all go and, and you know, have, a, have, the, have be in a relationship with them in our universe, too. But, like, the girl is, like, obviously subtly different in each universe. So, like, in some of them, she, like, cheats on him with a guy, and in some of them, she doesn't. And then, like, they get upset. The ones that, like, where, like, she cheated on him in, like, a different universe get upset with her for having cheated on him despite not being the one in their universe. So it's, like... Why are you getting mad at me for what a different version of me did in, an, in another universe? And, like, one thing I really like about this idea of, like, impossible conflicts in romance in speculative fiction is that somehow the solutions to these are still applicable to real life. Right. Like, the way that you resolve a impossible romantic conflict is still something that, like, requires personal growth that is applicable to real-life relationship issues. Yeah, and you can do those resolutions without them being, you know, a metaphor right. for anything specifically, but people will read metaphor into it in ways that I find interesting as an author, and I tend to find rewarding as a reader. Yes. yes. When it's these, these sort of parallels that can be drawn that aren't, aren't sort of planned parallels. Yeah. Okay, I think that's it for romance for now. Uh, we'll probably do an episode two at some point, depending on how much else we have to say, and fan feedback. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and next time is probably going to be intellectual Turing tests, unless we just jump straight to romance, too. I think intellectual Turing tests would be a good one. Sounds good. Alright, thanks for listening, tune in next time, and stay tuned after the outro music for a book recommendation by Alexander. Audible is offering a free 30-day trial with free book credit, which you can take advantage of if you'd like to support the show. My recommendation for this week is Shades of Milk and Honey by Mary Robinette Cowell. Shades of Milk and Honey is a Regency-era-esque romance in a fantasy world. The biggest difference from normal Regency-era is that there's a type of magic called glamour, which is an illusion-based magic, mostly revolving light and weaving illusions in the same way that someone would paint a painting, uh, not with terribly many combat applications to it. Within the world that's been created, it's one of the womanly arts that uh, a society woman is expected to know, and the main character is an accomplished glamorist, but not as beautiful as her sister, and looking for a man's hand in marriage and sort of dealing with a lot of the regency era romance tropes which are about societal expectations family honor securing a dowry paying attention to propriety and what people believe about you and your place within society uh, it's it patterned very heavily on the sort of jane austen-esque novels uh, of that era and does a lot of interesting stuff with it. The male lead is a uh, glamorist who's sort of a tortured, brooding artist. As far as romances go, I, I think it does a lot of interesting stuff. It hits a lot of the tropes that I tend to like in, in a romance as far as how a relationship develops t- between two people. Shades of Milk and Honey is the start of the Glamorist Histories series that sort of follows these two people through the development of their relationship and intrigues of the era with more magic coming in in later books. 
So I, I recommend that. I've read through the whole series. I liked it a lot. Uh, Mary Robinette Cowell is one of the four authors who are part of the Writing Excuses podcast, which I also recommend. To get the audiobook, go to audible.com rational and start your free trial today.